so the natural source of light had not been there. God gave a physical light, a supernatural physical light for the people of Israel coming out of Egypt and going into the promised land. God would guide them at night by a pillar of fire. We are told in the book of Revelation that at the end of the world, in the new heavens and the new earth, there will not be any sun, for Jesus will be our light. So God is light in a physical way. He's also a light in an intellectual way. You know, we like to pride ourselves of, of uh, creating technology, but you've got to understand that without God, we could not have done any of that. Any knowledge that we have gained is only because God has allowed us to see the light, for the light to come on. We think it's us. In reality, it's really God. God's also the moral light, the light in the darkness to show us the, the right path to go by. You know, why do, why do governments rage against a faith and a trust in God? It's because they think that they know the answer, but they don't. They're just as much in the dark as you or I. God, in his light, he understands the right way and gives us that as our moral light. You've heard the song, I saw the light, right? I saw the light. No more darkness. No more night. I saw the light. Well, that comes from uh, the, the book of Acts, where there's a man named Saul who was a Pharisee who was thinking he was doing God's work by snuffing out this new sect called Christianity. Sometimes I have to do that so that it doesn't go out. Sorry about that. But Paul, on his way to Damascus to take care of Christians, putting them in prison so that they might face the death penalty, there was a blazing light that blinded Paul. It turns out that that light was actually Jesus showing up into Paul's, in Saul's life. And as, Paul, uh, as Saul saw the light, his eyes, physical eyes, were blinded. But in a sense, his spiritual eyes were opened as he saw the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And so then Saul was converted from persecutor to preacher, from enemy to evangelist. And we know Saul now as the Apostle Paul, who wrote over half of the New Testament, who was the Apostle to the Gentiles. All the difference that was made in his life was because he saw the light. He saw the light. So not only is God the light, but he saw Jesus as the light. And Jesus would actually tell us this. Uh, John, in writing his gospel, John chapter 1 verse 9, he says, the true light, talking about the word of God, Jesus, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. So you look back at the menorah and, and, and you look at that lampstand and you begin to see how that can symbolize who Jesus is. You, you see the beauty of Jesus through the ornamental uh, the pomegranates that are fashioned in there. You, you see the preciousness of who Jesus is as this was a solid gold piece of furniture that, that would have the, the, this oil, which represents the, the, the living uh, spirit of God burning there, the gold being hammered out, beaten you begin to see so many things that could point not just to God's light in the Old Testament, but God's light through Jesus as well. Jesus would take this idea upon himself. And in John chapter 8, when Jesus spoke to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. He says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So according to Jesus' 
right there in John 8, 12. Let me ask you, not a real hard question, but who is the light of the world? There it is, Jesus. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. According to this verse, Jesus is the light of the world. But then you get to passages like we come to today. You see, Jesus is preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and that's a, it's the, the sermon series we are in. He has just gone through the Beatitudes, the blessings given to God's people who live in the upside-down kingdom. And then he says this, if you look at verse 13 and 14, he says, you are the salt of the earth, talking about his disciples. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty Again, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Then he says this, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So I have to ask you again, who is the light of the world? Well, according to John chapter 8, Jesus is the light of the world. But according to Jesus' own words here in Matthew chapter 5, who is the light of the world? The believers are, the churches, his disciples. So how do we take those two ideas and bring them together? Let's see, how, how much time do I have? I, I want to read you a synopsis that, um, that had been written by Glenn and Bonnie Bartnick. Bonnie is here today, praise Jesus. Yeah. Uh, feeling okay today, Bonnie? I know it's kind of an everyday thing, huh? It's an everyday thing. You're here. You got your family here. That's beautiful. Um, you're here by the grace of God, and I'm so grateful that you are. You wrote this. You and Glenn put this together last year for our 75th anniversary as a church. But some of the things that they talked about, about our church and its founding, was this. The story is of Palo Christian Church is really two stories intertwined. Over time, the most obvious is the story of the westward, westward expansion of the United States. Because our forefathers moved west, and as they would, they would start communities around an agricultural base. These small communities would slowly take root and grow and expand. Some of our ancestors were able to buy land outright. Some would homestead out their land. Men would plow and plant and string wire and raise animals and chase water. The women would participate in the process of farming and ranching, working long hours beside their husbands. They would also care for their families and provide and preserve food. But the women longed for a place more than just a place to sleep and a little bit to eat. Their desire was to have a school and a church so that their families could be taken care of, their children could learn, and that they could grow spiritually. We, the small community of Powell Butte, nestled between the towns of Redmond and Prineville, we're not much different, except that the initial migration west had simply passed over us for greener pastures out there in the Willamette Valley. But then around the turn of the century, about 1898, water was being diverted through a system of ditches and canals, and that was making the central Oregon desert bloom. Some people in the valley took notice and began the long trek back over the Cascades to settle and farm here in the high desert. It was during this period of time that they developed a variety of potato called the Deschutes netted gem. So potatoes were highly prized that just one large baker served in the dining car leaving Denver would cost a dollar. That sounds nothing today, but 
Talk about 1900. That, that's crazy. The climate and the rocky soil of this irrigated ground was ideally suited for the growing of those potatoes. But we get back to the inception of PBCC. As a small community of believers, we began to meet in homes and later in the Grange Hall for Bible study. Some years later, a young dynamic musician with aspirations to become an opera singer moved from his job of music leader in the Sisters Church to a family farm in Redmond. The move was precipitated by a brother-in-law, Clyde's untimely death in World War II. So young uh, Deaver L. Penhallow and his wife Marie and their two small boys, Clyde and Carol, were thrust onto the scene. Now, many pioneer women desired more than just hard work and survival for their children. So in 1943, the small group of Powell Beauties, and they sent Grandma Nellie to ask Penny Penalo if he would consider being their preacher. And he was asked to bring Christ to this community, and our church was born. You know, we have a history of, of people like Nellie and like uh, the, the Rifes and the Riggs and all of these places that you see around us, uh, the Penhollows, uh, leadership that have looked to this church to be the light of Jesus to this dark community. Every year, every year then amidst the sales of meat and quilts and pies and crafts, we remember the faithfulness of God's people giving back a portion of the bounty that God had granted to them to serve in the kingdom. So really what Lord's Acre is all about is a celebration of the light of the world. Jesus would go on to say, listen, you are a city on a hill. Now, how many of you have ever heard that term city on a hill before? I remember uh, President Reagan at the end of his uh, terms, he uh, was on his last uh, farewell address. He brought that imagery up. Reagan told uh, a crowd, he says, listen, I've spoken of the shining city all my political life. In my mind, it was a tall, proud city built on rocks stronger than oceans, windswept, God-blessed. And after 200 years, two centuries, she still stands strong and true. Reagan would use the imagery of a city on a hill to describe America and the way it was founded upon biblical principles, this idea that we would rely on God. Later on, JFK would tell the Massachusetts legislature in 1961 that all of the branches of the government were like a city on a hill. That phrase came actually from a man named John Winthrop, who was the first governor of the Massachusetts colony, In 1630, he gave a sermon where he was encouraging the Christians, the believers of his day, as they were beginning this new colony, this new life in a new world, that it was important how they lived because the whole world was watching this experiment. Now, you can say that you can make a whole lot of parallels between what Jesus was saying in the Sermon on the Mount about a city on the hill and what our country was designed to be. But let me give you this remembrance. Jesus wasn't talking about America. America would be something far, far into the future. When Jesus was up on the Mount giving his sermon, he was talking to those who would follow him, who would make him Lord of their life. And he told them, The disciples, his church, you are a city on a hill. Now that is a lot of responsibility 
Because the purpose of a city on a hill, what is the purpose of light? He says there in 15 of chapter 5, he goes on to say, listen, people do not light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. When we are sitting on the hill, folks, our life should shine with the good works that we do. Not so that we can be saved or earn our way to heaven, but because we are saved. Because we now live in a different kingdom. Because we have a different set of priorities. Because God has called us to an upside-down life. And he says that when you do that, when you serve out and live out the Beatitudes, your light is going to shine. People are going to be watching you. They're going to watch those good works. And you're not to get the glory, but the Lord is to get the glory. Let let me ask you, are there people in your life, believers, who have come before you in your life that you could look at and you can tell that their good works served as a city on a hill, a light that would shine not for them, but for the Lord. I find that the people who shine brightest aren't necessarily the smartest or the most gifted or the most influential. Who they are are the most sacrificial. The ones who realize that it's not about them, that it's about loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving their neighbor as their self to serve as a living testimony to the power of God to change a sinful nature into a redeemed nature. The people in your life that serve as your beacon, you can think back that those people's lives were testimonies to the goodness and to the power of the Lord, to His benefits. So what does that mean for us? As we conclude today, I want us to to leave today knowing that we are called to be that city on a hill. It means, first of all, that people are watching us. They're watching us. They're they're watching how we conduct ourselves. I uh, had the the privilege of actually talking with a man from our community who just swung by about a month ago, uh, maybe three weeks ago, and he was saying to me, he said, I just saw on TV that you were not having the Lord's Acre. He says, that's, that's pretty bad. I, I'm sorry to hear that. But I told him about the process that we talked this thing through and realized that uh, though we could have, may have done some semblance of the Lord's Acre, it would not have been a good optic. It would not have been a good testimony to our neighbors to say, we don't care what you think about the pandemic. We're going to go ahead and make a bunch of money. And we didn't want that because it's not about money, but that's what a lot of non-believers might have thought if we had done that this year. So as I was explaining that to this man, he says, you know what, I'm so glad you told me that because that makes total sense and I appreciate your concern for us. And then he gave us a cash donation that he would have normally been uh, used to, to, to give money to the Lord's Acre during the event. By the way, if, if somebody in the community did that, wouldn't that be kind of cool if the people of our church said, you know what, even though the event's not going on, we still have an opportunity to give to what that event was all about. So if God moves you in that direction, I would encourage you to, to check that out and see if that's something that you might want to do. 
that people are watching us in our community. They're watching how we deal with the pandemic and if we care about other people and how they're feeling, whether we're wearing masks or not. People are watching how we take care of each other. People are watching if we have the heart and the compassion of Jesus for those who don't even go to our church. People are watching our Project Love ministry, for example. They're watching how we take care of those in our area who are poor and homeless and lonely or hurting. They're watching, do we actually put our words into actions? Folks, I am so proud to be a part of a church that has been known for its ministry, its ministry to its own people, ministry to its community, and its mission outreach. Next week, you know what's going to go on up here on the, on, on the stage? We're going to have a bunch of food. This is our Project Love food baskets that we're putting together for Thanksgiving that we're asking for donations. And usually we try to crowd the preacher out so that, that we have so much food on the stage. It's also as we collect the Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes, So those get put on the stage as well. What, what an amazing testimony to the Spirit of God working through His church to be generous, to take care of other people, because it's not just us. I'm amazed at how many of you take your time and your efforts and your energy to volunteer, to come down uh, during the week, to, to serve at night, to, to come and, and be a part of our Sunday morning service, not just to sit and watch, but to actually serve. I, I am so grateful that we have started a Tom Alexander uh, uh, appreciation, a volunteer appreciation award. There is a plaque that's a perpetual plaque that uh, each year we, it's not like this person is better than anybody else, but this person is the representation of so many superheroes out in our congregation who see the opportunity to get outside of themselves. We are being watched. The only way that a city on a hill can actually serve its purpose is for there to be a light inside of that city. I mean, the city itself is not shining. A city is just buildings that is put up on a hill. But unless there is a light to shine, then that city just is there, and in the darkness it stays dark. But you and I, we have fuel. We have fuel, because in order to have some kind of light, you have to have some kind of fuel burning, right? You've got to have an energy source. As long as I can remember, fuels tend to be very valuable, something wars are even fought over. I remember back in the 70s where there were quarter-mile-long lines at gas stations because of the shortage of fuel. It was so precious. So fuel is this precious commodity that powers anything that has motion. Well, folks, this church should continue to have motion, but it's not because of us. It's not by our power. It's not by our might. In fact, we read from Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah saw a, a, an image in a, in a vision of that menorah. And, he, and, and the angel asks him, what do you see? And Zechariah says, well, I see this solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. And there were also two olive trees by it, one on the right and the other on the left. And I said, what are these, my Lord? And the angel said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, not by reputation, not by good deeds in the community, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. 
Folks, if we want to continue to be the light, the city on the hill, we can never, ever forget from, which, from where our fuel comes. And we must always be tapping in to the Spirit of God, leading us, empowering us, helping us, enabling us to do all of those things that He wants us to do. That's why it's called the Lord's Acre, not Powell Butte Christian Church's Acre. Amen? Right now, I invite uh, Daniel and the worship team to come on back up. And as they do, so let me just encourage you. What does this mean for us practically? This is one of those very practical ser- sermons because it means that we continue to follow God's Spirit in the leadership of our church, in the ministries that we decide to offer, in the studies that we conduct, in the fellowship that we share. It means that next week we load this stage up with food for the hungry in our community and Operation Christmas Child boxes because we realize that living in God's upside-down kingdom, blessings will come to those who are blessings to other people. It means we continue to challenge the sinful nature in ourselves so that we would get outside of ourselves and to think of other people and how we can serve them practically. It means we learn how to stand up to the injustices of this world, those things that would make Jesus weep. And in truth and in love, we would make a difference in our community and our nation. And it means that we continue to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, both here in our own backyard as well as in the nations that God has opened for us to be involved with. By the way, after next week when we fill the stage up, the week after that we're going to be hearing from the Project Love people just to tell us where all of those boxes went to. And the following week after that, we're going to have a go moment, an extended go moment about our missions and what we're doing out in the world. Because Lord's Acre is not just a one-time thing or a one-weekend-of-the-year thing. And finally, it means that we stay faithful then in offering to God back our acre, whatever that may look like. It may not be a, a, a ranch for you. It may not be a herd of cattle for you or, or a herd of pigs for you. It may be something else that you can give back to the Lord, your acre, by giving thanks to the one who gave that to you in the first place. And so, folks, I'd invite you to stand up as we close. You are a city on a hill. Does not matter what's going on in the government. Does not matter what's going on in our community. What matters is what's going on in your life as a believer and what this church is doing. Amen? I love you. I love serving as your pastor. I want to pray for us as we are the city on the hill, and then we will close out with one song. Father God, thank you so much for giving us this idea of our life does shine, but only when you are shining through us. Lord, may we never try to do these things on our own power, but Lord, may we always give glory to you for whatever happens. And may you continue to work through us then to bring more and more people back into your kingdom, your upside down kingdom, so that they too can serve as a city on a hill, the light of the world, as we allow the light of the world to shine through us. God, we love you so much and we thank you for this time. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.